This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, after a short break, which felt like a very long break to many people, the Ashes continues with another must win fourth test for England. We'll look ahead to Old Trafford and discuss what changes England should make for it. Former England batter turned selector James Taylor will give us his thoughts on the Ashes series so far, and Australia wicketkeeper Alex Carey speaks out about the Lord stumping a couple of weeks ago. And yes, he'd do it again. We'll also get the latest from a thrilling women's ashes and look back at some of the other stories from the week as Somerset win the T20 Blast. And we'll hear from the former India all-rounder, Yuvraj Singh. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. So, Harmy, just a couple of days after you pronounced Ollie Robinson's ashes over, England named a trimmed-down 14-man squad for Old Trafford, with Ollie Robinson very prominently in it. Yeah, very prominently in it, and he's also come out and said he's gonna he's fully fit for it. Unfortunately, Ollie, you've said some things in this series so far and not backed it up, so I'm not sure I could be picking you for, for Old Trafford. Anderson's got to come back, not because... It's his home ground, not because there's an end named after Jimmy Anderson. It's because England need to pick their best bowling attack. That can win them the game. Ollie Robinson would be in my bowling attack every single day of the week because the boy is seriously talented. But unfortunately, we've seen a drop-off. We haven't really seen the, the Ollie Robinson that was at the back end of last summer or that was in Pakistan in the winter, New Zealand. And what we've seen is the Ollie Robinson from the last Ashes. So... Whether there's a hang-up on you know, the pressure of playing Ashes cricket, whether he's gone back to being the Ollie Robinson that John Lewis described, who knows? And to be honest, who cares really? Because at the end of the day, we've had three test matches so far. England are 2-1 down. England need to pick their best bowling attack for the next game. And unfortunately, after walking off at Leeds, you've got to find a place for Jimmy Anderson, the logical you know, the, the easy selection for me or the logical selection for me would be uh, one change. Anderson uh, Anderson in and, and Robinson, unfortunately, would miss out. Uh, Stuart Broad has to play. He really has to play the way he's played so far this summer. A little bit, I was saying there about Ollie Robinson, is it the pressure of playing Ashes cricket? And it's got to him. It never gets to Stuart Broad. It really doesn't. He raises his game. 
even if 95% of it, I think I'd play Stuart because of what he means to the to Ashes cricket. So unfortunately, Josh would miss out on that front. Mark Wood would stay in the team, obviously. So would Chris Wokes. Uh, and where you go with the batting unit, wow, scratch your head time. But I think from a bowling point of view, I think it's an easy, it's a simple change. It will be Anderson in and Robinson out. Okay, well, scratch your head and come up with a solution then. Who's going to bat three? You can't have Harry Brook at three. I, I, I'm sorry. He's he's won the game in the fourth innings, batting at five with a brilliant, brilliant innings. Mo Ali, more volunteer to go in at three. So do you stick with that or have a complete reshuffle? No, I think I think what you do is you just move up one. For the first innings, I think what England are very good at is playing you know, the, the game in front of them. I don't think this basketball unit really understands how to play the way they play the free flowing aggressive cricket when they're trying to set the game up or when the game's sort of at the start. I think they're very, very good at understanding how to finish games. So, i.e., Ben likes to chase. He always knows fourth innings, his team knows how to sort of go down the road of chasing a total or they're better suited with the game in front of them. So, from that, in, with that sort of in mind, I would just sit, I would ask Joe Root to bat number three. As much as I really don't want Joe to bat at number three because he's so comfortable at number four and he's our best player. But unfortunately, the one thing that Ben Stokes has always asked of his team, as we were Brendan McCullum and Rob Key, is that we breed selfless cricketers. We we have people who go out there and do everything for the team to make sure that the team gets over the line. It's the same with selection. We're not bothered about numbers. How is the impact of the team? That's why Mo and Ali came back into the group. That's why Johnny Bairstow was keeping wicked. That, for me, is at this minute in time where England are. So what this selfless team needs at this minute in time is probably Joe Root to bat number three, Harry Brook to bat number four, Johnny Bairstow to bat five, and Ben Stokes to bat six. And I think that, for me, would be the ideal solution in the first innings. And then when the game is set up, if it comes down to the fact that England need however many, 250, 300 in the fourth innings to chase the game, then you could say there's no reason why Mo and Ali can't go and bat at number three in that situation like he did at Leeds. So to set the game up, I'd, I'd ask Joe to, to do the, the, the thing for the team and go to number three. And then in the, in the second innings, play the situation. And anybody from anybody from Chris Wokes up or up over could bat at number three in that third or fourth innings to sort of make the game. But for me in the first innings, I think Root's got about number three because balance of the side, probably the only option. Yeah, I was interested to hear that it was Mo who said to Brendan McCullum, can I bat three, please? And, you know, for a guy who's been shunted around <laughs> everywhere from mm. one to nine, um, you know, if he if he wants to bat three, then I think that does provide an easy solution. Okay, here's a random voice. Um, you've read Singh. I mentioned him in the intro. Let's think, find out what he thinks about the England uh, top order. I just hope Ben Stokes can bat at number five rather than batting at six because, you know, the more balls he plays, the more dangerous is for Australia. So, but obviously they have to see see their setup and obviously, you know, who fits in where. But from a personal point of view, I would like to see Ben Stokes batting at five. That was Yuvraj Singh, who, by the way, is playing in the Pro-Am at the uh, 151st Open Championship. 
he, which of course is live on Talksport Two from Thursday, and our producer Scott Taylor, who will also be working at the Open, caught up with you, Vraj. So interesting. He says uh, Ben Stokes should move up to number five, but I think number six is is his place. Um, Johnny Bairstow, the speculation about his place continues. Harmy, I just got the impression that he wasn't selected for the first test or the second test. That was an Ashes selection. Ben Stokes and Brendan McCallum have said, Johnny, the Ashes are yours. Yeah, I think it was. And I think you agree. I agree. And I think go on a, that one little bit further, Manners, from what you're seeing there, the Ashes is yours. And he wasn't the first, second test selection. I think he was also in the mind of, we might have to go to five bowlers here. We might have to go to five out and out bowlers. And I know Ben and Brendan and Rob don't look negatively at selections or look negatively towards sort of trying to find solutions on how we have got, we go about either picking teams or the way we play. But I think you have to be realistic. Ben Stokes is never going to be able to bowl five test matches in a row. No chance whatsoever. So England had to have a backup plan. And the backup plan was always going to be, we might have to go to five bowlers here and we might have to play the second all-rounder in Mo and Ali and the third all-rounder in Chris Wokes and look at Ben Stokes being just a batter. And the first all-rounder eventually would end up being Johnny Bairstow. So... Ben Folks was never going to, I don't think he was ever in the equation once they decided. Unfortunately for me, what I think and what I've seen, I just wonder if anybody actually watched Johnny Best or keep wicket for Yorkshire. I really don't think anybody's sort of had a study too much, right? Johnny's back, Johnny's fit, Johnny's got a 50, Johnny's playing for Yorkshire. Johnny said he wants to keep wicket. All right, perfect. You know, I'm not seeing idiots like me have just, you know, shouted for two years. Johnny Bairstow's got a key wicket because I have been saying that. And I do believe that it probably would have been the best outcome for England. But I'm not sure anybody watched Johnny keep wicket for Yorkshire because I'm not sure his movements are as fluid as what he would probably like or have, have been in the past when he's kept wicket. When people say, oh, he hasn't scored any runs when he's kept wicket, so what? Yeah, you know, these guys that are picking this side, they're not bothered about stats and numbers. They're about they're about impact and ceiling levels and what you can do for this team on a given moment in a pressure situation. And I still believe the best outcome is Johnny Bairstow in this cricket team. He's dropped a few. Yes, there's no guarantees Ben Folks would have caught every single one because some of the ones that Johnny has dropped have been, been difficult chances. Um, he dropped some easy ones. Yeah, I get that before people start shout, shouting things at their radio. But what I would say is that the minute Johnny Bairstow walks out with the bat in any situation, I believe this is the reason why he is in the team, not because of the glove, you know, from the gloves. He's in the team because he can influence the game with the bat. And now, because we have to pick five bowlers, Johnny has to bat number five. And I think when you're saying he wasn't picked for the first test, he wasn't picked for the second test, he's picked for the Ashes. I think he's picked for the Ashes because at some point, Ben, Brendan and Rob thought, if Ben can't, Ben Stokes can't bowl, that wicketkeeper might have to bat number five. And that could never, couldn't have been Ben Folks. So it had to have been Johnny Bairstow. So that is why we're in the situation we're in. Okay, let's hear now from a couple of men outside of the squad. Sam Curran uh, has made his red ball return for Surrey um, in recent weeks. He was asked about a potential Ashes recall. Always would love to be involved, but the summit hasn't really, hasn't really gone that way. But um, yeah, obviously... 
as keen as anyone to play test cricket. But um, like I said, my focus has been on Surrey and doing well for them. Played a four-day game the other week, uh, so that was good. And yeah, it's just been one of those summers, kept really busy straight from the IPL and obviously an exciting, obviously with the 100 and then um, in, into the one days and stuff later on in the summer. That was Sam Curran not focusing on the Ashes and uh, and saying that he wasn't thinking about a recall. Hampshire all-rounder Liam Dawson was another one who was strongly tipped um, to take the spinner's role when Jack Leach dropped out. Uh, and he was asked a similar question. Doesn't bother me at all. I've not expected to play Test cricket for a number of years now. It's not been on my radar. And, you know, if it happens, brilliant. If it doesn't, I'm not fussed at all. I'm enjoying playing my cricket. You know, I'm not getting any younger now. I'm 33 and worrying about playing for England is something that I've I've done way too much in the past and something that it's not healthy to do. So if it happens, great. If not, then I would certainly won't lose any sleep over it. I suppose I'm leading up to the question is, is there a danger that the England test squad is becoming an exclusive club? It's more difficult uh, to get out of than into. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. I think that is the way... Ben, Brendan and Rob want this team to play. Where's the tipping point? Where's the fine balance? And we're not talking about bowlers. We're talking about batters here. The bowlers will be retired because of the schedules that are on around the world, the way organisations, boards, ICC arrange bilateral series or big series, big tournaments. There will always be pressure on bowlers and rotation. So the, the bowling side of it, it, that there will there will be natural rotation and natural people coming in and out of teams. For me, when you're hooking a ball and getting caught at deep square leg with three men on the boundary, or you're a big boom and drive to three slips in a gully when it's absolutely hooping everywhere, or it's seaman, when does when does that's the way he plays to accountability of after question his place? And I think that is something that is a fine balance between where England are at this moment in time and where England potentially need to be going forward in accountability. Because if you're sending a message to say it doesn't matter about not getting hundreds at Crawley and you're not, we're not bothered if you nick off, we want you to keep going on the front foot and forcing yourself on the opposition or Johnny Bairstow dropping catches because we see a ceiling level of you know, what your impact is in the game. But then you start dropping people then there's a knock on the door and go, hold on, you tell me to play like that. And you said you wouldn't, no fear of failure. You told me I'm not, you know, I'm not questioning my players. But all of a sudden, if England lose this test match, 3-1 down in the Ashes, Ashes are gone, no matter what you've done the last 12 months, you're always going to be judged on what happens in this five-match series. That is, I think, the tipping point. I'm not sure Ben, Brendan or Rob know where they're at when it comes to selection from a selection point of view, because that has... For me, over the course of the last 18 months, times where you're looking and scratching your head and going, how on earth is he still in this team? And, and even Zach's got to be thinking, I've done well to stay in this team for so long. But in this series, he's been excellent. On the other ones, it's like, how long are we going to continue with this mantra of this is the way he plays? The mantra of you know, we're going to play no fear of cricket. We're going to be positive. And you're going, scratching your head and you're going, He's bowling at 90 mile an hour at his head and he's trying to hit it behind square with three men on the boundary. It just The logic in this is just brainless. And So when does it become brainless cricket? When does it become accountability? And when does somebody's place become on the line? And I think because of that, it is starting to become like a boys club and somewhere that 
I think needs to be not addressed. I don't think it needs to be addressed just yet because these guys have done brilliantly in the last 18 months. But if they lose the ashes, where does the accountability lie? Is it the method? Is it the message? Um, is it both? Probably it is both. But I think you're right. I think it does become an exclusive club, especially for the top six, where it's harder to get out of it than in it. I just hope that guys like Alex Lees, who scored three consecutive championship hundreds, is getting a text message or a WhatsApp from somebody saying, we're watching, mate. Yeah, I, and, I hope so. And, and there is a way back. And But that's, you know, we're going to hear from James Taylor in a bit. And he he's somebody who has... He's got he had his finger on the pulse. He was out there, him and Ed Smith, as much as I criticized them for being at the test match all the time, watching on their iPads. But this was a selection panel that was out there. You know, Rob Key's managing director of the whole shooting match. He's got so much on his plate. Brendan McCullum's in a dressing room. Ben Stoker's on a field. You know, Luke Wright is is out there and he's watching. But you know, when you look at it, what are they watching for? Who are they watching with? And We've just seen a brilliant end to the, the T20 blast, and I'm sure we'll come on to it in a bit. But the two casualties for me of Basball have been Alex Lees and Craig Overton. They both went to the Caribbean. Both didn't disgrace themselves in the Caribbean. But unfortunately, I don't think either of them will play cricket for England again under this current regime. So who is watching these players and what is the message to the players that are out there about how they get in? Because I remember, and I, and I even even to this day, Manners, I still regret. You know, going up to Andrew Strauss, and Strauss keeps Strauss did, and Strauss says it's one of the, the his biggest things, feelings of not telling the player in person that he wasn't playing in Barbados when I wasn't picked, literally five minutes before the toss, and I went, I went mad, and I marched down the stairs because Andy Flower told me I wasn't playing. And I went, I don't want to hear it from you. I want to hear it from him because he's the man in charge and he's the one that's got to tell me I'm not playing. And I want to know why I'm not playing because I thought I was getting men in a scapegoat for what happened in Antigua. And I went, I was wrong. Strauss says he was wrong because he should have told me in person. I was wrong because I made a complete show of myself in front of everybody. But I wanted to know why I wasn't playing because I didn't feel as though it justified one change from the last game where we nearly won and we couldn't get the last wicket. And who is telling these guys who are not in the team at the minute when England, if England lose the ashes, how do I get into the team? And that is, I'm not sure where that message comes from. Okay. The other subject that I was going to mention was um, this being the last test match in the North of England for eight years. Ashes test match. Okay. Hold it there. We we haven't got time in this section. Um, You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I thought you might say that. Uh, with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we build up to Wednesday's fourth Ashes test at Old Trafford with updates on Talk Sport. OK, I was going to go straight into the James Taylor interview, Harmy, but I know you're still frothing about the fact <laughs> that there's no Ashes test outside of the south of England and, and the Midlands uh, for the next eight years. I mean, it. I find it incomprehensible. I just find it madness. I really do find it madness. And I always I always go off the back of Durham. Durham's in the most northern sort of first-class county that comes. I'm I'm in Northumberland. But I also look at look at Scotland, right? So you've got to look at the four corners of the British Isles. They all love cricket. And so many people come from Scotland to watch Durham at Chesley Street. Because you can get on the train into Newcastle, get it from Edinburgh, Glasgow in an hour, hour and a bit into Newcastle, onto Durham. 
you can be in Durham in an hour and a half, and you get a lot of a lot of Scottish fans. And you, if you listen, you know the great man Harry McCoy sits on the Breakfast Show, and whenever he talks about English cricket, he talks about we. So we, you know, a lot, you know, Scotland, Scotland has got a lot of good cricket fans, good English cricket fans that do enjoy watching. Um, and there'll be a lot, of, there'll be a lot of people at Headingley, two and a bit hours to Leeds from, you know, from from Edinburgh, or from Glasgow. And do you know what? I've I've not been inconsistent before. Anybody starts shouting at me and go, "You have been so sort of anti-Yorkshire about the way things have gone and not being punished this, that, and the other." But Yorkshire has had a dark 18, 24 months. It really has. But the, the show they put on, I was there for three days. It was magnificent. The show they put on, the West Terrace was unbelievable. The surface is always a great cricket surface. You know, the, the, the fans up there are, are very warm and they're very patriotic towards England, but they're also, it's also good value when you're at Yorkshire. And then we're going to see exactly the same at Lancashire next week. You know, you might get a bit of rain, but it always rains in Manchester. So for not to have an, a test match north of Nottingham in the Ashes next time round, for me, is a disgrace. And why, why on earth have a test match? You know, Headingley, the history of Headingley, 81, 19. And then this last week, was, it was unbelievable. You know, what happens at Old Trafford, even like to Chester Street, to go as far as Trent Bridge, for me, yes, I'm a proud northerner, but I think it's a disgrace. Yep. You're not alone. <laughs> okay, let's hear now from former England batter and selector James Taylor, who's been speaking to Talk Sports Ian Abrahams. Here he discusses the Johnny Bairstow conundrum and whether he would pick uh, Jimmy Anderson. Uh, but first, he gives his thoughts on the th- on the series so far. Oh, it's been phenomenal, hasn't it? I mean, obviously, the brand of cricket, everybody's talked about it, and I'm sure to some it's, it's pretty bo- boring mentioning it all the time, but we mention it all the time because it is so exciting, and it's enthralling. Australia, the best team in the world, without doubt, uh, and England, uh, without doubt, the most exciting team. Uh, so it's a, it's a lovely match-up, and like I say, it's been very entertaining cricket, and Australia just edging it at the minute, but England have got themselves right back in it now with... That win at Headingley, don't they love playing at Headingley? Uh, always makes makes for entertaining cricket and close games and, again, another enthralling game that England came out on top of. You mentioned that. I think the next Ashes series here, there are no Northern Grounds, no Headingley, no Old Trafford. I mean, it's just it's going to be Lords, the Oval, I think Southampton and, and then Birmingham and, and Nottingham. Well, it's great that they've got it back at Trent Bridge because uh, that's obviously a special ground, uh, amazing atmosphere. Uh, but that's surprising. Headingley, I mean, obviously the last Ashes that we had here, Stokes, what he did, phenomenal test match, and obviously Stokes being amazing himself, and then another uh, quality test match at Headingley. Uh, Old Trafford for me is that's just traditional England test cricket. That's how I see that ground. Uh, but yeah, so it'll be a shame, but it's another opportunity for the other grounds uh, around. As a former test player, would you like to have played baseball? 100%. I mean, carefree attitude is a bit strong, but the, their positive nature and just fun brand of cricket that they play. Every Yes, it's entertaining and it's, and it's brave in inverted commas, uh, but it looks fun. Everybody's enjoying it. Um, look at Broad and Anderson. They've played nearly 200 test matches each and they're enjoying it as much as they've ever enjoyed it. And ultimately, you enjoy it more when you're winning. And generally, Basball has won. Uh, but obviously now they're coming up against the best team in the world. But it's, it's very entertaining and I would have loved to be a part of it. It's 
you've got a great captain that is one of the most respected England cricketers probably of all time one of them and obviously his numbers are his numbers but as a human being he would certainly be the most respected guy that I've played with in the cricket team do coaches and captains ever rein your game in then? Do they ever tell you consciously not to go and play your I, I thought in sport you were always encouraged to go and play your game yeah too right and you'd be silly not to I think the way they empower and the way they trust their players to go and do whatever they want, which in turn frees a player up and gives them more confidence, knowing they've got the backing of the captain and the coach. But I think, obviously, McCullen's done an outstanding job, but without Ben Stokes, England wouldn't be playing the way they are playing right now. And it obviously helps having McCullen and Stokes together. I think they're a great combination. But I think what Stokes has done, having grown up with him, seen the way he's matured and he's developed as a cricketer, off the field as a leader, and the way he speaks and commands that respect to the dressing room, is quite phenomenal. Uh, I've loved seeing his journey and his rise to the person that he is now, as well as a cricketer. And I, I don't think this style of cricket would happen and the, the brand would happen without Ben Stokes. I'm going to ask you a difficult one now because when I was a kid growing up, it was all about Botham. Botham was the all-rounder. Botham was the England captain, and then when he became England captain, kind of couldn't reproduce again. Same actually with, with Freddie Flintoff. How has Ben Stokes been able to continue to reproduce while being the captain? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And what's what's so good about Ben Stokes is when England are up against it, he more often than not stands up for his side and. If anything, he does it more in the harder moments than the easier moments. He lets the other lads take the, the other, those uh, games and he looks after England when they really need him, uh, both with the bat and the ball. Uh, and as a leader, you saw his leadership skills come out um, in full force in Pakistan, some of those wins that they got over there in tough conditions. Uh, albeit Pakistan weren't the strongest side, but they managed to create wins out of nowhere when they shouldn't because of the way they play and because of his leadership as well so I think Ben Stokes as a package not just with the ball uh, sorry not just with the bat but also with the ball he gives them something different as well as his positive leadership and allows people, players to free up and get the best out of themselves last two then Old Trafford do you play Jimmy so you can run in from the Jimmy Anderson end or, or not uh, yeah I, I think I would I would go Jimmy for I think Ollie Robinson's obviously got a had a sore back in the last game. He's played three test matches. Jimmy's had a test match off. That would be the, the natural swap. But I think this, this break has come at a very good time for both teams because it allows them to refresh, rejuvenate uh, themselves and give them a little bit of energy because I think both bowling attacks needed that. And it's kind of unheard of the way both bowling attacks are bowling. Like these guys, their bodies won't be used to bowling the way they're bowling. F- flapping in halfway down for 30 overs on the bounce again like I said is unheard of uh, so their bodies uh, will be feeling it and so that, that week off um, is perfect timing for both bowling attacks and the big debate folks would you have brought him back and had Johnny Bairstow just as a batsman or do you think sticking with Bairstow as a wicketkeeper batsman is the way forward well if you were ever going to do it now would be a perfect time with an unfortunate injury to uh, Ollie Pope but like so often they do they double down in what they're what they've decided to do and they've done it again uh, and they've obviously picked Johnny um, because they like that and they like that balance of the side they feel they can get their strongest batting lineup with Johnny keeping 
Ben Folks. I love Ben Folks, mm. and Ben Folks is and a he can bat. Uh, is a quality batsman, and he's proved that for England, and is a world world class wicketkeeper. And it is a shame not to have him playing, but obviously they England feel this is their strongest batting lineup, uh, and Johnny is a more than capable wicketkeeper. We know that. Um, but Folks is a world-class wicketkeeper. That's former England batter and selector James Taylor speaking to TalkSport's Ian Abrahams. Um, so England have their, their issues. We've discussed those. Australia have got a couple of really interesting questions uh, to, to ask. They've been very formulaic in their selection over many, many decades. If they have an all-rounder, they play one all-rounder. They, they have branched out occasionally from time to time in times of need. Uh, Shane Watson opened the batting um, as a stopgap and, and did quite well, um, although he wasn't a very good reviewer, was he? Uh, but no. so, so what do they do now? Cameron Green, who they're desperate to play, and he only just missed out the last Test match. He's fully fit, raring to go. But how do you leave Mitch Marsh out now? And the David Warner question, um, they've got some tough ones. I think first and foremost, it would be madness to leave David Warner out. As much as I want Brody to play and I want Brody to go at Warner again, I think you're two one up in a series. Do you leave a player who's played that amount of cricket, who has that experienced, who the, the fighter in him when his back's against the wall? And I actually don't think he's batted too badly in this series. I think this series has been has been a good contest between bat and ball, where a lot of times the ball has been not on top. But I think there's been some top quality bowling in this series. There really has. Wood last week, Cummins as well. Brody's been been excellent. Um, here's a Wood, and I think the, all the bowlers have really stood up and been counted. It's been it's been quite a good test, a hard test for the for the batting units. So for me, I don't think I would drop David Warner. How you get Marsh and Green in the team? I think what I would say, the old old Trafford, I would say you need a fast bowler from one end, somebody quick, somebody tall hits a deck, and you need a spinner from the other end. Is it the same as what it used to be? Now it's been turned around. I'm not so sure. I don't really have too much experience of that. What I what possibly could happen, bear in mind Australia 2-1 up. I don't think England would ever think this way, but if you're Australia, you're going, I'm not saying we don't need to lose, but we need one massive score in this in this series, and the the series is over, we win. Now, if you play them both and don't play the spinner, then all of a sudden you have Marsh at seven, at six, Green at seven, Carey at eight. You've got Pat Cummins, who was a handy batter, lower order batter coming at number 10. You're basically saying, if we get 500 in any one of the next four innings, England can't win the Ashes. And I think for this test match, I think that would be the way I would go. I would go at Old Trafford and go, you know what? We've got batters all the way down. If we get players in, we get a massive score. England can't win the Ashes because you know, if we get 500, uh, the, the likelihood is England will be out of the game. So for that, I would be I'd be tempted to not pick Murphy, pick the two all-rounders, go a heavily heavy pack bat and, and say right. And then if if we go if we if they lose, you know that shocker, then. You know, you revert back to plan B when it, or your, your plan, proper plan here with a balanced attack for the oval and take England on a one one in uh, one test match ashes contest. I would I would go for the runs on board. I might just add there that uh, there is Travis Head's off spin 
and yeah. minus minus Shane's whatever he wants to bowl, and Steve Smith's some things. But I think Travis Head is a useful part timer. Uh, you know what? Yeah. I mean, I, I, they can do a job. Yeah, absolutely. A bit like Joe. Um, he's probably not as good as he's not as good as Joe Root, but he's he can competently hold an end up for you know ten overs if need be. And it, the reason why I'd say pick both all rounders as well is that they're not all rounders who it's not as though you're picking five out and out bowling options. Cameron Green is a short spell man who doesn't bowl many overs in a day because of his body. Mitch Marsh is a short spell man, doesn't bowl many overs in a day because of his body. So between the two of them, they probably would only cover the overs of a fourth seamer. So because of that, that's why I'd be tempted to go, right, England, you want to take us on, whatever you want to pay us on, we have got batting coming in to number 10. We can go and get a big score. And if we get a big score, you're out of the ashes. Because if we get 500, you're going to have to go beyond us to maybe make us and bowl us out cheaply to, to have any chance of winning the Ashes. And that, for me, would be the way I would go. Yeah, I'd love to hear Ben Stokes's uh, riposte mm. to that because um, uh, I think he'll believe they can win if Australia makes 600. All right, let's finish this section with that Alex Carey quote talking about the Johnny Bairstow stumping. We are all out there. We all walked through the long room together and post-match we all discussed it together and... From our point of view, we've we've all got each other's backs and, and we've supported each other and yeah, I don't think the group would, would do anything differently. We yeah, we left it up to the third umpire to, to deem it out or not out and from there it yeah, like I said, it, it is history now, but the group's really strong. The group's been really, really clear on, on what we can and, and can't control and that's everyone's opinion about it. I guess, like I said, the opinions are are of those of um, who wants to give them, and we, we can't change that, control that. You know, there's some nasty stuff being said, but like we said, it, it is the ashes. Um, there was nasty said nasty stuff said before that as well. So I feel really well supported. Um, I think the, the whole group does. And, yeah, from, from Australia, um, I still think we've got lots of fans. And from England, I, I don't think we've, we've made any, but um, we probably didn't lose any either. That's Australian wicketkeeper Alex Carey, who, by the way, really is one of the truly nice guys of international cricket. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And a reminder, you can hear updates of the fourth Ashes test on TalkSport from Wednesday morning. Next up, we'll turn our attention to a thrilling Women's Ashes series and get reaction to yesterday's second ODI. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available as always via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, let's take a look at the women's ashes now. And Australia have retained the women's urn after beating England in yesterday's second ODI at the Aegeus Bowl. It was another cracking game. Truly extraordinary. After the game, TalkSport's Georgie Heath has been getting all the reaction. My goodness, I'm only just recovering. What a day of cricket we've seen here. What a women's ashes it has been so far. But it was not England's day in the end today, despite a century from Nat Siverbrunt, they fell three runs short. Australia, they set them a bloody hefty target, 283 to win. There were 26 came off the final over, bowled by Lauren Bell. Georgia Wareham went full hog and launched it to all parts. And that was one of the differentiating factors, perhaps, in this game. But what a game we've seen, a sold-out a GS bowl. The crowd, it got to the point they were they were cheering dot balls, cheering, but at the end, Nat Siverbrunt, she was on strike. She needed to hit a boundary off the final ball to take it to a super over and just couldn't quite get enough behind it as she hoiked it into the leg side and England fell short by three runs. I'm just looking at the attendance. Over 12,000 people came to the Aegeus Bowl to watch today, but it does mean that Australia, they won today. And no matter what happens at Taunton on Tuesday, they will retain the Ashes. So they currently lead 8-6 and there is one game to play. I am joined now by Polly Starkey, cricket journalist and host of the Naughty Child Women's Cricket Podcast. Polly, how are we feeling after today? I think a little bit sad. There's always going to be that when England lose the Ashes. But I think overall, actually, there's a massive sense of achievement. Of course, England lost today, but they put up a really good fight. Nat Silverbrun was excellent with the bat. But what England have achieved over the past few weeks has, has been something we haven't really seen before. Australia have been this dominant side in, in women's cricket for multiple years. And England have broken their streaks. They've uh, managed to win a white ball series. They won the T20 series. Of course, yes, they lost the test match, but there's been so many positives to England. And actually, as 
you know, as spectators, we look at this game and think, oh, England, are, you know, they're not going to win games in this series. Where are they going to get these points from? But they won three games on the bounce. They won that first ODI at Bristol. And I think actually that has really sent a message that Australia are human. They're beatable. They're making mistakes in the field. England have an excellent side. They've got a lot of youth coming through and actually give that a few years and England can be that dominant force. And it's funny because we were just saying a minute ago, we would have taken this after the test series we get greedy always it's what we do we're sports fans you you want those wins you get that bit more and you want a bit more so actually england yet yeah, we were saying this they have come so far and they have outperformed perhaps what any of us expected beforehand and it's just been so far we've still got one game to go so they can level the series they won't win back the ashes but they can still level it and they'll want to do that and then they'll win the odi series as well on tuesday but it's just been a real display of iconic tenacity, perhaps, from the England side. You know, they did come into this massively underdogs. And we know that. And that's not doing them a disservice. That's not dumbing them down. This Australian side, they have been so dominant for so long. When England beat them in that ODI just a few days ago at Bristol, they had won 41 of their last 42 before that. When they beat them in that T20 series, that was their first series loss since 2017, when Alice Capsey, she was 12, Theresa May, she was Prime Minister. That's a very long time ago. And so this England team, they are proving that Australia are beatable and they are really, really coming through. And I think that does a service to perhaps the advancement in the domestic game, the professionalisation, the increased contracts. Dare I say it, because we know how people feel about the 100, but it is undeniable what that has done for the coverage of women's cricket and putting it on that stage and then we talk about all the other tournaments around the world so women's cricket has been displayed at the highest level perhaps there's been a few bits in the field that maybe both teams can look at but as a series thus far still one to play it's been staggering and the numbers have been phenomenal and some of the cricket on display let's just talk about that Nat Siver Brunt 100 she didn't celebrate at all she barely lifted her back she knew she still had a job to do I think she would very much, she would rather take being out for a duck and winning the game than 100 and not winning. But she took it so close, didn't she? Yeah, she oh, she put a shift in at the end. I think it, it was quite actually sad to see her not celebrate her century because, you know, she's a fantastic player and, and she really deserves to kind of have that moment. But, you know, she sees this bigger task at hand. And I think she's such a mature player that she can realize that and think okay well I've got to do this for the team and as you say I think she would probably take in getting a duck um and and winning the game but yeah she's been excellent throughout the series and I think actually it's been nice to see from England to have uh, a number of players step up Kate Cross of course in the most recent ODI Steffi with the bat and things like that so it, you know it has been a really historic series from England and it's sometimes difficult to put into context how important these wins have been, especially when England haven't won the series. But uh, you mentioned about Australia, you know, breaking that streak with the, the 40 games, uh, the 41 out of 42 and, and things like that. And I think it shows England have progressed and professionalism has increased. And you've got people in the England squad who are kind of direct uh, recipients of these regional contracts who have moved up to central contracts and, and are now you know, benefiting from the professionalism in this country and it, it's only taking women's cricket further. The crowds have been excellent and they've been 
real partisan crowds. People are coming to support England women's cricket team. It's not just, you know, they're coming along for the sake of it. it. They're really invested in the game. And you definitely got that from the crowd here today. And we saw that at Bristol and, and Edgebaston and, and in both games in London. So overall, I think it has been a, a successful series for England. Of course, they've got that last one in Taunton and they'll want to finish on a high. They won't want to kind of drag this last game out. And I think if England do go on to win in Taunton and they do level the series, that's a real positive because the Aussies haven't won. They've just retained it. So, you know, for Australia, I don't think that will be true success for them either. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. Well, it has been quite a day. I'm exhausted. My nails are just about surviving. They've got one more game to go. But what a display of cricket. England not quite getting over the line. It was the fairy tale that very nearly happened. But... It's been incredible and we've still got one more game to go in Taunton on Tuesday before the men's ashes then gets back up and running and our nerves go jingle jangle all over again when that starts on Wednesday. But from us here at the Aegeus Bowl, it is Australia who win it by three runs. Nat Siverbrunt's 100 in vain, but what a performance from her. England, they couldn't quite do it today. Australia have retained the Ashes, so we go to the final game of the multi-format series. Australia leading 8-6. That's Talk Sports' Georgie Heath rounding up all the breathless action from the second ODI between England and Australia in the women's Ashes yesterday. Harmi, it's been an incredible series. Honestly, uh, I mean, three extraordinary games in a row, and that one was the most extraordinary of all. It was. It was unbelievable. Natskiver Braun didn't quite get England over the line. Would she get 105 or 106 or something like that off just under 100 balls? She's an unbelievable player, along with Sophie Eccleston. England women's cricket have got you know two absolute superstars of the game. Um, and it has been a, a brilliant series. And for all, I've, uh, I've knocked the 100 so many times on this show. The one thing that has has been brilliant, not only for the 100, but for women's cricket, is the level of exposure that the women got from the first year of the 100 to go and take it to this game and drive this forward. I know in the I've mentioned in the, uh, the ICEC report about playing at, at, at Lords. When you do the research of the test matches, England were playing test matches at Wormsley less than three years ago. And you know, to have... The, the Aegeus Bowl sold out, to have three ODIs sold out, to have the, the interest in women's cricket the way it is at this minute in time is a brilliant pat on the back to the 100 um, and what it did for women's cricket and the women that have played in this series, both sides have been an absolute credit. You know, England lost the Test match, and that's probably where they lost it, and you know, it's where the Ashes went. But to come back, Australia have not been beaten two games in a row in a long, long time. To then go and do it three times, yeah, they've got to be so heaven night, and, and John Lewis so proud of of the of, of the girls the way they've played, and you know, fingers crossed, the last game goes in their favour, and unfortunately they've just come up short. But I think it shows that the gap between England and Australia is getting a little bit closer year upon year, and uh, that's brilliant to see. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Let's talk about um, finals day then, uh, Harmy. I mean, I remember many, many years ago, decades ago, it used to be the NatWest final that was the big day of the English domestic season. But boy, oh boy, finals day. I mean, it's a marathon, first of all, but 
120 overs in the day and there was rain around so massive credit to the edge and ground staff and equally massive credit to somerset who who just seemed to be a team of interlocking interchangeable jigsaw pieces they you know they have a very clear game plan and if the top order fail which they did in both games then other people can come along and and slot in and, and do the jobs that is required of them. They just look like, I mean, I always joke about Northamptonshire, don't I, being um, hmm. the ultimate money ball team where, you you know, you buy the pieces that you need. But Somerset really do fit that description. They do. And it was, it was a, it was a brilliant dare. It really was. And I echo what you said about the ground staff, because not only have they produced a you know, wonderful test match at, at, at Birmingham, I thought they produced a fantastic finals deer. The crowd were 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 brilliant. The noise, you know, I, the, the the whole deer was was brilliant to watch. And it's it's a competition that some will argue goes on a bit too long. It's a competition, some will argue that you know the ECB don't really want it anymore because you've got the hundred. But I think it's a competition which is fantastic. It really is. And sometimes the best team doesn't always win it. Yeah, even even to the point where the you know a little bit of lady luck doesn't go that way, and they don't even get to the sort of finals day itself. But they've been the best team in the competition because of the the duration of the competition. They've maybe had a great start and missed out at the end. I actually think the best team won it in in Somerset, exactly what you've just described. But I also think the best player in the tournament he won it as well. And Craig Overton, I was really pleased for him because, like what I said earlier in the show, that. He's probably the biggest casualty, him and Alex Lees, the biggest casualties of Basball, because they were the ones that went to the Caribbean and basically not failed, but they were the ones that you know, were, were going into what was three really, really poor pitches with a team who was really low on confidence and a group which was looking over their shoulders knowing that you know, the, the inevitable was, was there when Joe Root's captaincy and... Ashley Giles's tenureship of was was out, and he for me was was the one that probably along with Alex Lees was never going to play for England again. So to see him have his day in the glory and the sun and and the rain was brilliant. I'm really really pleased for Craig Overton, um, and they've got a formula. They had a plan. If you looked at the the four sides on paper, and you go, there's only one winner here, and that's sorry. You know, it's, it's just a case of doing the toss, Surrey win the first game, do the toss, Surrey's going to win their second game. But I think it shows that T20 cricket is not just about what names on the paper, no matter how talented they are. And I've, and I've said many times, one of my biggest, you know, my favourite saying, especially when it, with the football and stuff, you know, hard work will always beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I'm not saying Surrey didn't work hard, they did. But when it comes to the game plan and how they executed what needed to be done, I thought Essex and, and Somerset were the right teams to be in the final. And Somerset um, got themselves over the line with a, a fantastic catch. And I still thought when that went for six, you know, I thought that, that goes for six, 22 off, off um, I think it was, was it 11 balls or 12 balls? You know, got down to got down to 15. I still thought the game was on, even nine down. Um, but unfortunately um, for Essex, what a wonderful catch it was by Cola Cadmore and, it ended what I thought was uh, an excellent, excellent T20 blast played, I think, in, in good high quality. There was, of course, another catch. Matt Critchley caught and yeah. bowled 
and I, I have a, a rule that I try very hard to stick to because I've got the greatest of respect for, for umpires who do the hardest job in the game, as far as I'm concerned. But I, I was pretty shocked when third umpire Nigel Long gave that court and bold nod out. I, I really, I really did think that. I mean, the soft signal, which still exists in county cricket, if people don't yeah. realise, I just thought that was a bizarre thing. And I, I go back to the situation where the third umpire sits in a room mostly by himself because the match referee's off getting cups of tea and and um, and patrolling the ground. And I sometimes wonder, seriously, because it's not the first time it's happened, whether that being alone, watching a TV screen all day, affects the, the balance of, you know, I mean, because if you're in a room of 20 and you're the third umpire or 10, whatever, and uh, and you think, well, I, I, I think that's bounced. You know, what do you guys mm. think? And the other nine say... Mate, he's got his fingers under the ball. Clearly, hmm. then you know you, you're going to be. But what did you think of it? But yeah, I, but on the other then with that, you see in in football with a VAR, and there's a, there's quite a few of them in a room, and they seem to get it wrong as well. I'd like, I, 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 me personally, I'd like the man in the middle to make the decision. I really would like the man in the middle to make the decision. It might take a bit longer, but if there's a camera and the camera angle, if like in in football, it's not far. If you've got if you've got a, if you've got a TV screen at the, by the side of by, next to the side screen, and a bloke who is officiating just as a as a walk over and has a look, and he goes, "Yeah, I seen it like that. That's out." Because if he's given a soft signal, he's got an opinion. Well, for me, then you follow up with that opinion, which would be, "Why if I'm given a soft signal and I think that's out, well, then why am I going to ask somebody else to help me make the decision? Why don't I just go over and have a look at it myself?" Because he is the one, like you say, sitting in the room by himself, twiddling his thumbs halfway through a pack of digestives and, and you know, wondering how many sugars he's going to get in his next tea. He can basically walk over and go, do you know what? Yeah, I've seen that. The reason why I give the soft signal out, because I've seen that. I think he's got his fingers underneath that. Carry on, see you later, son. Or, nah, I didn't see that. And I'm making the decision because I'm the one who's in the middle. Now... That for me will be far better than having a third umpire make a decision like that. Yeah, the the the, the little Nick, that's self-explanatory. He's using technology as the third umpire. You know, the, the foot using technology as the third umpire. But decisions which are which can be sort of looked either way by somebody's opinion, that shouldn't be a man that's not in the game. That shouldn't be from a man who's sat in a room by himself. That should be made from a man who can have the same look in technology to his eyes as well as close-up eyes because he was on a pitch, and he should be the one that makes that decision. So there was no reason for Nigel Long to give that out or not out. It was more, I can't remember who it was. Was it Shawnee? Was it Steve O'Shaughnessy? I can't remember who was at the other end. But he could have easily have walked over to the boundary, looked at it and gone, you know what, I give soft signal. I thought that was out then. I'm giving it out now. See you later. And I think that, for me, would be a lot better than somebody doing it by himself. Martin Saggers and Russell uh, Warren. Sags, yeah. Okay, let's move on uh, quickly from that. to uh, There's a, a report in the Daily Mail that um, the ECB are considering offering Harry Brook a multi-year central contract, which would be the first of its kind. My instinctive reaction is to sense conflict. It's the ECB saying... We need to fight back against the IPL franchises. We need to fight back 
against the and i i don't think that's the way forward what if true what are they trying to achieve by that are they are they saying to harry brook we want complete control over you we're going to offer you a lot of money which means that we don't want you to play in franchise tournaments i mean what if harry brook really wants to go and play in major league cricket he really wants to spend another six or seven or eight weeks at the IPL. And I could be completely misreading this, but I just, my sense is that the way forward is with active cooperation rather than conflict. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, I don't think, I don't think ECB can afford that because you're going to have to give Harry Brook 3 million a year. I'm sure he gets decent money now, but are they saying, He's going to be exclusive England player, and they do whatever he does, whatever they say. Because it's actually that's what happens now, anyway. But it just the agents get involved, players get involved. They want to go and play in that tournament. I've got a six week window. I want to go and play in that tournament. I, I remember I had a, I, I, during a selection sort of interview, I got asked about central contracts, and I said the ECB. I said, in my opinion, you've got to find a way and find a solution that whatever's best for the ECB, everybody else, there's nothing you can control. So if Josh Butler goes and gets a contract from Rajasthan for five years at X amount of pounds per year, then we can't control that. What we can offer is, for me, the biggest single thing that anybody growing up wanting to play the game has to aspire to, and that's to play cricket for England. We can offer that. So we make the contract the best we possibly can be. So if it is, like what I'm thinking possibly is happening with, with Harry Brook, which is we're going to offer you a multi-year, three-year contract, and we will let you go and play in the IPL, and we will let you go and play in this. But that's it. So if we've got games, this is what we want, this is the programme, we run your programme, and we tell you what you can do rather than Rajasthan or Sunrisers or whoever dictate to what you can go back and play for England. And that's where you've got to be careful. And I think from that point of view, there's got to be, there's got to be compromise and rightly so got to be compromised because, you know, you've got to keep your players happy. You want them to play and be as free as they possibly can. The one thing they can't do is fight them because England will never win. Because yes, you are saying you will, you, we are giving you a chance to play for England and represent your country. But the minute you turn around and say, Harry Brook, you're not going to go and play in the IPL because we're going to give you a three-year contract on that, on X, he's going to go, no, nah, I'm not signing that. I'll, I'll still play for you. But it's you that don't want to play me because this is the window I'm available. England have got to make sure that, and they've got to work with the ICC, and the ICC have got to police these tournaments to make sure that international cricket is played at this time and their players are available. And we dictate what's happening, and they can go off and play in the multi-tournaments, whatever they want. But we control their contracts and their movements. A bit like what Alex Shu was saying the other week, that who houses them, who feeds them, who waters them, who gets them fit and you know keeps them, everything going like that. Well, for me, it should come from the ECB, because the ECB are the ones that give the NOCs for them to go and play in these tournaments. And I think that's where the ECB have got power. Somebody wants to ask, offer Josh Butler or Jofra Archer or Mark Wood, you know, somebody that's going to go down the one-day route later on, a ridiculous contract to play a white ball cricket and white ball cricket alone, and they're in their 30s. 
there's nothing you can do from an ECB point of view. You've just got to say, well, hopefully we'll, we can get them for big tournaments. And if we need them for big tournaments, we'll play them. But we look after our own and we make sure that we produce our own and make sure we look after our own and we make sure our own house is being looked after. And if we can get that, great. If we can't, well, then if somebody doesn't want to play for England, fair enough. There's nothing you can do about it. I think, to be honest, uh, Harry Brooks' start to his England career, I think he would be slightly nonplussed that uh, England would be apparently prepared to go to such extreme lengths to make sure that uh, he was available. I think if you asked Harry Brook at the moment, uh, look, we're going to really, we, we really want to secure your services. I think Harry Brook would be like, no, 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 no you don't have to do that. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to be picked. Exactly. And I think that's the one I'm on. That's the, the sort of situation I'm on about. It's not about the one day contracted players who go off and play these franchise tournaments. Yeah. I've listened to Harry Brook in interview spoke to him, seen him, been around him on a golf course. This kid loves playing for England. He loves playing cricket. He loves playing for Yorkshire. He loves playing for England. I, I just think he he would be he'd be somebody who I, I wouldn't have an issue with because I think while there's an England cricket match on, I've got no doubt Harry Brook wants to play for England, which is the best solution for everybody. Absolutely, Harmy. And so you, we've got 10 seconds left. Justin Langer is back in work, replacing Andy Flower as head coach of the Lucknow Supergiants in the IPL. And now you really do have 15 seconds. The ICC have announced equal prize money for men's and women's, for the men and women at World Cups, which a couple of years ago, I might have raised an eyebrow privately, but not now. Definitely not now. And it's good to see. Uh, I don't think the women were asking for it but I think they'll greatly receive it. I just think they wanted looked after better than what they were because their level of performance and the way the game is going and growing and evolving, I think they deserve it, which is brilliant. And I can't believe Look Now have done that. Not because it's Justin Langer, because, yeah, I'm sure Alfie's a great coach, did brilliantly for Australia, but what's Andy Flower done wrong? He's must upset somebody big time to lose that job after two years. So uh, I'm disappointed for Andy because he's a good man. Um, and he's a good friend of ours, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Lucknow next year. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast on the following on feed. Now available, as always, via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look back at this week's fourth Ashes test. But for now, this has been another episode of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 